This episode of Inside the Vatican is brought to you by Crisis, a podcast series about the sexual abuse crisis in the church. Host Karna Lazoya interviews bishops, survivors, lawyers, social workers, and many more to help navigate a systemic problem that has long plagued the church. I know many of you care deeply about this issue, and we've covered it a lot here on Inside the Vatican and on America's Deliver Us podcast, but there's still so much work to be done. So check out Crisis wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're devoting our whole show to a discussion of Pope Francis's new encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, which is about the brotherhood and sisterhood of humanity and our social responsibilities in light of that relationship. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen, where we're all wearing masks, even in the open air now. It's the government's instruction throughout the country because the number of cases started rising again. Nothing like what you've got in the States, but uh, still disturbing enough for the government to say everybody, and they will fine you if, if you don't wear a mask. Yes, as you know, over here, our president has COVID, a number of White House officials have COVID, and down here in New Orleans, though we've just entered phase three, uh, we have another hurricane coming our way, and so it's it's a bit of a chaotic time over here. But let's talk about something more exciting, which is that this week, the new encyclical Fratelli Tutti was released. And before we get into the content, I wanted to ask you, you know, the last time we had a new encyclical was five years ago, 2015, with Laudato Si. And you and I weren't doing this podcast then. So I, I wanted to ask you, what is it like in the Vatican when, when a new encyclical comes out? Well, there's a lot of excitement for this one because, uh, first of all, uh, we knew that the Pope was going to speak about human fraternity. So there was a lot of excitement. And of course, there was some discussion over the title. And then when the Pope decided he was going to go to Assisi, remember, it's the, his first time out of Rome mm -hmm. since February. And so he, he drove in a car down, he stopped uh, at a monastery on the way, a convent, prayed in the church of Santa Chiara, St. Clair in Assisi, and then he went and celebrated Mass by himself. I wouldn't say there were 50 people in the, in the crypt. And of course, this all built up a lot of uh, a sense of expectation. What's he going to say in this document? Mm -hmm. The Pope didn't give any homily. He said the Mass was private, but at the end of Mass he went, and uh, I think people have seen from the photos, they brought him three copies or five copies of the encyclical. They put them on the altar right in front of the tomb of St. Francis of Assisi, who was the inspiration for this, as for his last encyclical, and he signed. And then he got into the car and came back to Rome. I signs of the times show clearly that fraternity human and the cure of the creator form the only way towards the integral development and the peace. I want to talk about our, our kind of big picture takeaways, especially since some of our listeners probably haven't had time to read all 86 pages of this document. Um, you know, you and I both wrote our analyses independently of each other. We didn't really talk to each other. And it was interesting to see that I maybe, in typical American fashion, focused on the, the politics, right? The critiques of globalism and the economics, populism. Um, but I wanted to talk to you and give you a chance to, to say for our listeners what your main takeaways from the document were. What stood out to you? Well, first of all, the title. 
Fratelli Tutti in Italian. The original title was in the other Saint Francis's words were in Latin. But since Francis has become Pope, the, the titles of the encyclicals are no longer Latin. And uh, what struck me most about it was the way the Pope looked at the wounded world through the lens of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right. He did a whole chapter on this. Yes. And it's a masterpiece. For me, if any of our listeners really want to start the encyclical, go there. The second chapter. I, I like what Tom Rees, the former editor of America, said. He said, uh, this encyclical, I would advise people to read one chapter one day and another chapter another. In other words, space it out. Uh, my strong suggestion to start at something we all know about. We all know the, know the story of the Good Samaritan. And we see the genius of the Pope, the intuition, how he could look at the world through the eyes of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, and it was a little bit of a, a different read than we usually hear about this story, right? Like, you know, people like to say, okay, the, the big point of this story, as Jesus said, was, you know, that that everyone is your neighbor. And then sometimes you get a slightly deeper reading where people are saying, oh, you know, one of the things that's significant is that the the religious leaders weren't the ones who stopped. And what does that say about, you know, people who are kind of self-assured in, in their, you know, religious standing or whatever? Um but but Francis, you know, he talked a little about those, and then he went even deeper to a level that I had never heard before, uh, talking about, you know, how this big gift that the Samaritan gave was his time, which is such a rare gift for people to give now. And he commented on the the hotel owner, right, because the Samaritan takes this wounded man to a hotel, and he says, what does this say about being able to count on our communities to to help in ways that we can't. Um, I thought it was really interesting. What what stood out to you about the Samaritan chapter? Yeah, well, the, the hotel or the, the inn, as they called it, uh, was, uh, for Francis, it symbolized the institution in the society. Mm -hmm. The Samaritan who gives his time is quite unusual. Everybody is so busy today. We're all rushing one place and another. He, he had an agenda. He had a, a program like the religious people that passed. But he decided, no, there's another priority. This is a wounded man. And so he put on hold his own program and went and gave his time and helped this man. And then he had some transport. So he was able to transport the man. And I think what was most interesting, because we tend to, in our better moments, think, well, maybe I can be the good Samaritan. We don't think of ourselves so often as being uh, the, the religious leaders who walk by and ignore. But what Francis says in the encyclical, and I think this is really, you see he's a master of spirituality. He said, each of us plays in different moments the role of each of the characters. Right. This was a very, it seemed like a really um, Ignatian spirituality kind of reflection on this parable, right? He says, you know, imagine yourself in this story. Which which character are you? He deals with very big issues and very big problems. But he's saying, in the world we're living in, we are faced with a choice. And what the Good Samaritan was faced with is what we're each of us is faced at some moment or other. We will see wounded people, injured people. And at that moment, you make your choice. And he says this is true in the economic field, in the political field, in the social field, as well as in the personal field. Yeah, it really touches on, on every single level of society, right? One of the things that seems important here is that 
you know, Francis has has said many of these things before. He goes a little bit deeper on some topics uh, in in a way that we haven't seen before, and and some things that he said, like uh, he's he's skeptical of you know whether modern day wars can actually satisfy the requirements for being a just war. He raises up his his ban on the death penalty that he added to the catechism, uh, raises that to the level of an, of an encyclical uh, for the first time, and also uh, talks about denuclearization and an encyclical for the first time. So he's raising some things he's said to a new level for the first time. He's going deeper on some things. What would you say is the big new thing here? Why is why is it significant that this is an encyclical, which is, you know, this this very high level of the church's ordinary teaching? Well, I think, Colleen, what our listeners should understand is that this is a bringing together of what Francis has taught in his more than seven years pontificate now, but also what he was doing back in Buenos Aires, because he was always reflecting on the social question. Francis's great gift is that he doesn't come with ideas that are up above and then try to apply them to reality. He starts with where people are, what situation they're living in. And so he starts with the world. So the first chapter, uh, Dark Clouds Over the Future or something is the title. Dark Clouds Over a Closed World, I think. Over a Closed World, right? He, he, He starts there and he looks at the world and he paints the picture of a deeply fragmented, wounded world. And he's saying, is this what we're going to continue to live with? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Is this our future? And so he's a kind of a wake-up cry and says, look, look at the world you're living in. How can we turn this world around and make it a better place for men and women? And he's very strong in saying, we've got to recognize that we're all part of the human family. We're brothers and sisters. And and this, this is the fundamental insight and said, until we come to realize this and really take it to heart and really make it part of our way of responding to each other, the world will remain fragmented. That He talks about the populist movements which fragmented. He talks about the emergence of ancient conflicts, and we see them in some parts of the world. He speaks about the throwaway culture. And he said, and it's interesting, he puts into that, you know, we know about the throwaway culture, discarding uh, unborn children, discarding the elderly, discarding the poor, discard. but he puts into that also racism. And I'm quite was quite struck by this. There's a second thing that struck me. He speaks about racism a number of times in the encyclical. When he says, I was inspired by St. Francis, but I was also inspired by Mahatma Gandhi. I was inspired by Martin Luther King. I was inspired by Desmond Tutu. These are all real people who battle against racism, against apartheid, against division. And it's very interesting that he that he brought those people up. In, into the picture. Well, and his his section where he talks about um, forgiveness and and asking forgiveness of you know historically oppressed groups, um, I thought was was really relevant, especially to a lot of the conversations around race that we're having, especially in the states today. Right? He says, you know, it we can't act like these atrocities like slavery didn't happen, uh, but instead. We have to, you know, actually listen. We have to forgive but not forget. And we can't demand forgiveness that that someone isn't ready to give. I thought that was a really 
really fruitful section for a reflection on that, even though he never specifically said that that was what it was about. Um, you know, I, I really read it in the light of of the American, you know, reckoning with racism right now. Yes, but also re- reckoning with how the indigenous peoples were treated in, in, in North America, but also in South America. And uh, he's very conscious of this. He believes that we lose so much if we lose our memory. And if we forget these, he said, you cannot forget the Shoah, the, 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 what happened to the Jews in the period of Nazism. You, you can't forget the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. You can't forget slavery. And he, he goes on, you can't forget ethnic cleansing. And many other things, events down the history, we can't forget them. Uh, ones that, as humanity, we are ashamed of. Colleen, I believe that this encyclical will really have its effect in years to come. There will be young people in colleges who will pick up one part of it or another. There will be uh, teachers. There will be people, activists, social activists. And there will also be people in the political and the media world who will draw inspiration from this. Yeah. I did an interview with the uh, writer Nathan Schneider, who's a contributor to America, who studies economics and tech innovation. And we were talking about the encyclical. And I was asking him, you know, do you think this is going to be kind of a, a timeless document of of Catholic social teaching, right? Or do you think that it's something that's more for our current moment? And he said that he thought that Laudato Si was was the encyclical that would kind of be the one that everyone returns to as as a major document and that this one would kind of, you know, come and go, I guess, with our current moment because it speaks so strongly to our current moment. I, I wonder what you think of that. Well, I, I think, first of all, what is an encyclical? We've had encyclicals from the early centuries of the church. They're the reflection of the Christian leader and later of the popes on pressing issues of the day and helping Christians, helping believers to find a way of responding to them, to getting to reflect on the situation and to respond. Laudato Si and Fratelli Tutti, they are almost siblings, if you wish. Mm-hmm. You might call them the brother and sister encyclicals, because a lot of what is in Laudato Si is reflected in, in Fratelli Tutti. But there's much more in Fratelli Tutti. So the Fratelli Tutti is a broader vision. It's a broader vision. He's brought together all his reflection and thinking on so many issues. Private property, he says, there is no such thing as an absolute right to private property. Of course, people would say he's a communist. But it's deep in the heart of the Christian social teaching that God gave the goods of the world for the benefit of all not for the benefit of some. Yeah, and that, uh, you know, because we're obviously living after after the fall, right? Because because sin exists in this world, then, you know, uh, we, we have to have some kind of property, but this is a secondary right. And the first right is for all people to have what they need to, to live a dignified life. And if they don't have that, you know, it's it's because, he says, quoting early church fathers, it's because someone else is detaining what they need, that they don't have what they need, which was really, like, bold and interesting. But it, it, it's, it's a big challenge to those who have a lot in the world, that they have a, an enormous responsibility to the whole of humanity. I mean, we've seen now in the pandemic that suddenly a number of people have become so wealthy. You've got super millionaires or multi-billionaires, but they have a great responsibility 
because they have it and others don't. And how they use that is, as Francis says, is how they will be checked at the end of life. So the encyclical really, I, I think, is broader than Laudato Si. It, it, it covers more issues. It touches more things. And it has a very simple, Laudato Si had one very simple point about careful nature, building harmony between nature and man and nature and people and nature. And uh, th this thing is talking about humanity. Yeah, I, I saw um, Jim Martin and also uh, Austin Ivory both both kind of said similar things about how to read these documents together. Um, and they said Evangelii Gaudium, which was Francis's first like programmatic document of his his papacy early on, uh, was about restoring our relationship with God. Laudato Si was about restoring our relationship with the earth. And now Fratelli Tutti is about restoring our relationship with each other, which I thought was a good way of summarizing it. Yes, and, and th this encyclical kind of puts them all into one package. It's a little repetitive in parts. And this is where I think Tom Reese is good to say, you read one chapter and then reflect, and then another day you read another chapter, because it's long. But it's rich, it's rich, and it it has the capacity to, I think, start people thinking and to start people acting because the Pope was making very clear, as like St. Francis from whom he took his inspiration, you preach the gospel by doing things and if necessary, you use words. So you live the gospel. <laughs> لأنها ستكون صياغة جديدة من أجل حضارة متوازنة سعيدة يكون جوهرها الإنسان مهما كان لونه أو جنسه أو لغته. You know, one of the other things that, that Francis was famous for was that uh, he was kind of a pioneer of early Catholic-Muslim relations. During the Crusades, he, he traveled to visit um, the Sultan, and they ended up having, you know, a, a really fruitful encounter. Um, and Pope Francis, you know, I, I think wants us to read this document as being very much related to this human fraternity document that he signed in February 2019 with the Sheikh of Al-Azhar, right? Which is a document that I, I feel like we reference a lot, but isn't something that a lot of folks have read. But Fratelli Tutti references it many times. And actually, I, I think that Francis really wants to emphasize the interrelatedness of these documents, uh, in part because he had uh, a Muslim man uh, present the document at the Vatican. Can you can you talk to me about that? Well, Colleen, when Francis went to Abu Dhabi, he was the first pope ever to go into the Arabian Peninsula. Right. I was there at the signing ceremony, of very very close to where he was watching them sign. There was the Sheikh of Al Azhar. Al Azhar is the Muslim. Institute. It's it's one of the most authoritative Sunni Muslim institutes in the world. The Sunni Muslims constitute eighty percent of all Muslims, and the Sheikh of Al Azhar is a very prestigious figure in this. He and the Pope have really connected in a big way. The chemistry between the two of them is is quite extraordinary. You, you can see it. So the document that came out was the one they signed, the document on human fraternity, and that document made very clear what is also the central point of Francis's Fratelli Tutti. We're all members of the human family under God. We are brothers and sisters. We're children of God. That's the nucleus. And what the document on human fraternity that they signed in Abu Dhabi also said, it said, in the world there are many religions, but 
they're all there in the wisdom of God, they have a place. Right. And then it says that the true religions, at their best, they contribute to the well-being of man, to harmony between men and women, between peoples, between peoples of different culture, and with, with nature. So, so many things are common. And so, Francis, in the introduction to the encyclical Fratelli Tutti, he says, I took inspiration from St. Francis, as I did for Laudato Si. Mm-hmm. Now, Jerry, tell me about this um, Muslim judge who presented the document at the Vatican. You interviewed him. What's what's his story? What did he have to say about the document? The Muslim judge was the advisor to the Sheikh of Al-Azhar. He said, really, when I first, the Pope asked me in the end of July, would I present the document? Because the Pope knew him from being with the Sheikh. And he agreed. And he said, he sent me a copy in Arabic. And when I read it, I was moved. I felt emotional because every word that's written there, I, I identified with. I felt it was mine. He said the Pope, after that meeting in Abu Dhabi, he went back and he reflected on the situation of the world and seeing all the divisions, etc. And he said, with his great intuition and insight, he's come up with this document, which is really giving expression in concrete ways to what was in that original document in Abu Dhabi. Never in the history has a Muslim presented a papal encyclical. This is history. Well, and you know, Jerry, like we've seen Francis incorporate Muslims really, really visibly in in different ways in the Vatican. I remember at his first Holy Thursday liturgy that he washed the feet of of Muslims uh, during the washing of the feet. And so I feel like, you know, maybe maybe later on there's there's a deep dive episode here for us to talk about Muslim Christian relations and how they've how they've changed in recent years. Well, what we're seeing here is the culture of dialogue, the culture of encounter over the culture of confrontation and division. Which is so desperately needed in our world today. All right, Jerry, it was so good to talk to you about this encyclical. I know we could keep talking about it all day, so we'll just have to leave it here for now. Um, If our listeners want to read Jerry's full analysis of the document and his uh, interview with this judge who presented the document, as well as watch our video, the video that I made analyzing the document and our interviews. We've got just tons of content on americamagazine.org. You can find that all, and I'll link to everything that's already posted in the show notes. Jerry, thanks so much, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Colleen, and I hope our listeners read the encyclical. Me too. It's it's so worth it. And honestly, 86 pages, it's long, but it's not that long. You can handle it. <laughs> Real quick before we go, uh, if you are enjoying the show, if you have maybe learned something from listening to Inside the Vatican, please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really helps us get the word out about the show. Thanks. Inside the Vatican is a production of American Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Robert Balliser in the Jesuit Curia in Rome and Kevin Christopher Robles, an O'Hare Fellow at American Media. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date coverage on Fratelli Tutti and all other Vatican news at americamagazine.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside Vatican Pod without the second I in inside. For American Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dilley. We'll see you next time.
The Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program is an invitation to imagine the next stage of your life. Look back on your career, find your purpose, discover your passion, deepen your faith. Join this diverse community of seekers and share strategies for handling today's leadership challenges, now forming the second cohort to begin virtually in January 2021. Apply now at luc.edu slash ILF.